Welcome to episode 182 of Podcateers. I am so excited about this week's episode because I had a chance to sit down and chat with Brian Crosby, who is the creative director of themed entertainment at Marvel. Brian talks about how he started in the industry and how he worked at setting himself apart while interning at Imagineering to try to get a job there, then moving on to Marvel, and just kind of the thought process that goes into where and how a Marvel attraction can be integrated into a Disney park. It was an awesome talk, and I think that you're all really going to enjoy it, and I'm eager to have another opportunity to sit and chat with him again in the future. So before we jump into the episode, just a few things as always. We'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Expedition Roasters. Expedition Roasters offers a variety of flavored coffees themed after your favorite Disney attractions. And make sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to find out if you are one of the winners of our recent giveaway on Instagram. If you didn't win, that's okay because the folks at Expedition Roasters want to hook you up so that you can try their products as well. You can get 20% off your first order by using the code POD20 during checkout and all orders over $50 get free shipping in the U.S. So a big thank you to Expedition Roasters for their support. Another big thank you goes out to all of our fairy godparents for their support in making this episode possible. If you would like to become a fairy godparent of our podcast, you can do so for as little as $1 a month by going to podcateers.com and clicking on the fairy godparent logo with the Patreon emblem. Or you can just go to patreon.com slash podcateers. Plus, if you sign up for a contribution of at least $5 a month, you'll also get the exclusive fairy godparent button as a thank you for your support. The holidays are rapidly approaching, and if you shop on Amazon before your next purchase, please consider starting off at podcateers.com Amazon. Clicking on the big Amazon button will take you over to their site with our special referral link, which gives us a small commission as a thank you for what we do. It's not going to cost you anything extra except a couple seconds of your time, and to everyone that's already taken the time to do that, thank you very much. If you're looking for us on any of the social networks, just search for Podcateers. We are on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and on Facebook. You can also find out more information at Podcateers.com. This episode in particular, Podcateers.com slash 182. On that blog post, you'll find a couple of videos that we talk about and refer to, some links to purchase the books that we talk about in this episode. are all going to be available there. Once again, a huge thank you to Brian Crosby for taking time out of his day to hang and chat. I know by now you guys are probably just saying, all right, just get on with it. So that's what we're going to do. Here we go. This is episode 182 of Podcateers. This is our podcast. It's about three guys that love Disney, technology, art, and food. This is Podcateers. All right, so uh, before we go on with uh, Disney and Marvel stuff, so yeah. are you a baseball fan in general or Angels fan? Uh, I'm both. So I I, uh, I grew up here in, in Orange County, so I've uh, been a lifelong Angels fan. Um, but uh, baseball's in my blood, too. Um, so I've always been a baseball fan, player, uh, played, you know, all through Little League and into high school. Um, but uh, like I said, baseball is in my in my blood, in my family. My father was a Major League Baseball player in the in the 70s. Played for 
St. Louis Cardinals, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Indians. Very cool. My my younger brother Bobby was uh, he he played Major League Baseball as well with the uh, the Oakland A's, and he was Rookie of the Year in 2004. Very cool. My youngest brother Blake, he's a, currently a scout for the Toronto Blue Jays, and my uncle was a minor league baseball player in the Baltimore Orioles organization. So. There's a lot of baseball in the in the family for sure. Do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Two brothers. Yep. Okay. Uh, so how do they feel that you strayed away from the baseball and decided to go into this artistic field? Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't surprise them. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm kind of the black sheep of the family for that reason. But uh, uh, you know, I've, when I when I played baseball, I was always the one player who could draw. And when I when I drew, you know, when I was in art circles, I was always the one guy who kind of had one foot in in the jock world too. So, um, I never quite fit in anywhere. I guess is what I'm saying. But uh, no, I mean they. I think me and my brothers all ended up going into the the careers that we that we dreamed of going into. So we just feel very fortunate. So, That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, I felt the same way. Yeah. Uh, I think. I've, I've, I've always felt that I'm a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Like, I don't feel like I'm a king at any of them, but yeah. I feel like I'm really good at a lot of different little things, mm-hmm. and it's kind of molded where I am today and where I feel like I want to end up in the next three to five years. Awesome. Uh, so I kind of understand that, yeah. uh, like what you went through. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, what, was, what did you like to draw when you were a kid? Pretty much the same thing I do now. Uh, you know, I. I uh, so I assume I, you had a copy of How to Draw Comics: The Marvel. Of course, way. you can't you can't work at Marvel and not have owned that copy <laughs> at one point, or be an aspiring comic book artist and and not have a copy of that book. Uh, I absolutely did. It was my bible. I you know tore it to pieces, dog-eared it. You know, I used it religiously. Um, but yeah, I, I I I what I fell in love with was the comic book medium. Um, I fell in love with comics. I mean, I always drew. It was always something I was interested in. But I was like obsessed with having my drawings look like they looked like in the cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if I got a coloring book, you know, I, I strayed, I very seldom strayed from like the correct uh, costume color scheme. Um, I wanted it to look exactly right. And when, yeah. it, you know, when something was off, it would really just drive me nuts. Um, uh, so I, I, you know, I would love, you know, I always loved the kind of the, uh, you open up a coloring book and I had the, the, the inside cover was just a blank white piece of cardboard and I would draw the heck out of that thing because I, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a drawing surface that I could, you know, draw on. But superheroes was always my love through Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, uh, Super Friends, uh, the the '66 Batman TV the show. Super Friends. I know, I know, but I loved it, man. I, it's cheesy a little bit now, but uh, I, at the time, I just thought it was awesome. I took it totally seriously. I don't know what you mean, cheesy. I know, I, think I know. It's totally awesome. Okay, now. good, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. But like even like the '66 show, you know, I know it was played for camp, but yeah. at the time, as a kid, I took it serious. Like I didn't know it was supposed to be funny. Like I, I was in. Um, and uh, you know, I just I loved superheroes. It gave me something to shoot for, to aspire to be. And when I discovered comics at the age of ten, that was the first time that I realized there were people that did this for a living. You know, because if you watch it, you know, a movie or an animated show, you know, now Marvel has trained us to stay through the credits. But yeah. At the time, you, you know, when the credits start, you leave. You know, and if or if it's a TV show, you change the channel. But in a comic. The credits are at the beginning. And so I saw on that very first page there was a guy who wrote it and a guy who drew it and a guy who inked it and a guy who colored it. And I was like, these are real people 
that like do this for a job. Like that's what they do, and I wanted to do that. So ten years old, you were. I knew I wanted to, to be a comic book artist. Yeah, that's pretty early, man. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of people that are in college, ready to graduate, and they still don't know yeah. what they want to do with their lives. I mean, don't get me wrong. I tried lots of different things because breaking into comics is hard. Yeah. Um, I didn't break. I didn't get my first comic book job until 1999. I uh, took my portfolio down to San Diego Comic Con and got a, you know, not doing anything crazy. It was a small independent company uh, called David World Press, and I. Uh, did my first my first comic book work there got me my pro status um, but uh, you know I wasn't sure if it was going to work out I mean I uh, at one point I thought about being a police officer I was almost a police officer with, with Anaheim PD um, like did you go through the entire training yeah oh wow. yeah, well I didn't do the police academy oh okay so I, I had almost gotten hired I was uh, I was going to be going into the academy in June and it didn't work out so I ended up you know going back to school and I thought oh, I don't know if this comic thing is going to work out I'm not making a lot of money doing it, and I had a young family to provide for, and so I went back to school thinking I'd get into animation, and the more I animated, the more I realized that I didn't necessarily love animating. Were you doing traditional animation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was traditional, you know, 2D. Um, I liked it, but I didn't love it, and I didn't, I couldn't see myself doing that day in and day out, because it's a lot of work. Yeah, in-betweening um, is, like, the yeah, worst thing yeah. to do. You have to have a passion for And it's, that. you know, when you when you finally roll the film back and you see it, you're like, okay, that's gratifying, but I worked all night for, like, a facial expression change, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know if this is for me, um, and with comics, you can be, you know, the, the director of your film, you know, you, you control the background, you control the action, you control the actors, the costume design, everything, and I loved being able to kind of create the whole universe myself. That is awesome. <clears throat> what was the first thing that you worked on? Uh, professionally? Yeah. Um, it was a, a kind of a spoof <laughs> spoof comic book called Barbie Spawn. So if you <laughs> if you know like Barbie the doll, right? <laughs> but Spawn. And Spawn like the comic book character. That's awesome. So basically the, the, the gist of this, and this was at the very beginning of what was going to be digital comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't work, you know, because it was nobody had iPads or anything like that. Um, people were, were largely trying to sell things online. You still had to pay for a credit, you know, with a credit card to, to get any of the content. Yeah. But at the time, it, you know, you were really marketing comics towards young pre-teenage boys for the most part, and who didn't have credit cards. Yeah. So it was kind of a failed experiment. Um, so we, we, you know, a few of us jumped on board with this new company. Uh, I drew Barbie Spawn, I drew three issues of it, and then the company went under. But uh, So the story was was that uh, uh, G.I. Joe, okay, he's a real guy. Okay, let's go go with me here. Okay. He's a real guy. He, uh, he gets killed in, in, in battle, and he goes to hell and makes a deal with the devil. But when he comes back, he comes back as a Barbie doll. Oh, my God, that is awesome. <laughs> and so he comes back as Barbie Spawn. And uh, it was super random, uh, super weird, but uh, like I said, it was fun. But did he have all the memories that he had prior to coming back as yeah, Barbie? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he knew where he came from. He knew he was G.I. Joe, But he Joe, had that really. revelation of like, where is my body? <laughs> yeah, it was that is odd. awesome. It was odd, you know. But uh, but you know, at this, you know, at the time, it was my first comic book work, and I was so jazzed to be working in comics and be being able to go home and like sit down and like draw a comic book page where somebody was like. I was going to send this off to an editor and yeah. an inker and a colorist, and then I'd get it back and, and see like what the colorist had done. I was like, wow, this is, like, I'm part of it. I'm doing yeah. it. And so uh, I was just excited to be in the business, man. Um, but that was, that was kind of what jump-started it for me. 
That's very cool. Yeah. So where, um, when exactly did you start to get involved with the Disney company and Imagineering? Uh, well, I never, um, I never thought working at Imagineering was really possible. Some of us see it as the motherland. I know. And I did too. I mean, I grew up, you know, here in Orange County, like I said, you know, come to Disneyland, you know, as often as I could, which usually was about once a year back in the, back in the day. Um, and I loved Disneyland. I, you know, I, I fell in love with the medium of, of storytelling, themed entertainment. Um, the way they were making me feel about being in a place without even having to go on a ride. Right. And, I, and I would recognize that going to Magic Mountain and Knott's Berry Farm were cool, but I didn't have the same feeling as when I was at Disneyland. Um, and so I, I, I love Disneyland. And, uh, I remember in the, in the 80s at some point, the Disney Channel started. And I was obsessed with the Disney Channel. I would get up at 6 a.m. and do mousercise and all that stuff. And and then they used to do these segments in between called Imagineer That. Oh, I remember. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had one in particular where it showed the Imagineers that were also certified scuba divers and would go into the submarine voyage attraction and basically maintain it. And all I could think of was that is the coolest job in the world because they get to go down and swim with mermaids and sea serpents and treasure and all that stuff and like that's their job like where what better place to scuba dive than in the submarine voyage attraction and so I always thought Imagineering was like a cool thing but I never thought of it as being possible um, and then in 2005 a friend of mine um, called me up and he was going to school at Brigham Young University in Utah and called me up and said hey Imagineering is doing this contest. It's called Imaginations. Um, and basically, you come up with your own attraction concept and submit it, and if you if you win, you could get a job at Imagineering. Wow. And I was in school at the time. I was going to Cal State Fullerton, uh, right here locally, and I thought, well, you know, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to art school anyway. You know, why not? And uh, so I... So we worked on it. We kind of, you know, put our minds together. He told me what his big idea was, which was to do a, a rocketeer attraction um, for California Adventure. Like, oh, it's kind of 1930s Hollywood. Yeah. The rocketeer would be a great fit for California Adventure. Which I still think it could be. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm like, that's a great idea. And so when uh, we were putting together the concept, I he asked me to do the storyboards. I said, wouldn't it be cool if I did the storyboards to look like a 1930s comic book? And uh, we love the idea, and so you know we did. So we, we submitted our, our concept uh, to the nines, themed everything. Uh, my buddy Josh Stedman, who ended up working for Imagineering later on, he uh, he did a, a, a DVD of what the concept was and put it inside of an old film canister. And oh, wow. so we had the whole thing set up, and then my comic book was in there as well, and we submitted it off to Imagineering. Uh, they called us up. And loved our, our concept. Um, they were concerned. You had to be you had to be an undergrad to be eligible. Uh, unfortunately, my friend had already graduated, so we were disqualified for that reason. But they loved our work, nevertheless, and so they recognized that maybe we had something. And uh, they called us up and to do phone interviews. Uh, my phone interview went really well, and they asked me to come in and do an in-person interview, and I did. And they gave me an internship. And back in 2005, and it was you know it was not doing anything uh, glamorous. I worked in the uh, in the uh, the what's called the IRC, the, the Information Resource Center, and it was, we call it the Art Library typically. 
and it was it was great because I got to meet some Imagineers, but also this was right right as a lot of the the longtime artists at at WBI were starting to go digital with their artwork, but still m- most of them were doing physical art, pencil paper, you know, paintings, things like that. So all of them were coming into into where I was sitting as an intern and bringing their work. Yeah. And so I got to sit down and talk with each of them as they came in and, and brought in their stuff. And I would, of course, have my portfolio ready to go and I'd show them what I could do because I knew that this internship was going to end in three months. Yeah. So I needed to make as many contacts as I absolutely possibly could while I was there. Um, and then at the at the end of the internship, we had to give a, uh, a summary, like a, you know, here's what I did this summer type of presentation. And everyone was doing like a PowerPoint presentation. And so I kind of asked around, I'm like, so what's, is everybody doing a PowerPoint? I'm like, yeah, everyone's doing a PowerPoint. I'm like, okay, I knew that's what I'm not gonna do. I'm gonna do something that's very different from everybody else. And because I also thought in the back of my mind, when you do a PowerPoint, that means you're gonna turn the lights off and all the attention's gonna be on the screen and nobody's gonna see you or connect with your personality. They're just gonna see slides and eventually their brains will check out. I wanted the, and we were presenting to potential employers at Imagineering and I wanted them to remember me uh, and my personality and what I could bring to the table. So I said, okay, when I come up, I want the lights to come on. We had a sunroof up above the, the art library where it used to be. It's, it's no longer there anymore. It's now moved to a different location. But, uh, and that thing would open up. It's loud, right? It opens up and then I would do a presentation with actual physical artwork and show what I had done that year or that summer. And I did it, and uh, I met a lot of great people afterwards. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald, you know, uh, Tony Baxter, uh, Nancy Hickman from you know uh, the model shop at, at Imagineering, and Nancy was the one who gave me my first full-time job at WDI. So she hired me full-time, and I worked in dimensional uh, dimensional design uh, for a while, and I worked and worked until I got to be a concept artist. And after about a year and a half, two years, I finally broke into concept design. And then it was off to the races from there. That is awesome. Some, what's some of the stuff that people might recognize in the parks today that you had your hand in? Um, I mean, the very first thing I worked on was, and I worked on it at the very end. Most of it was done. I, I helped out, did some painting of the model for Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage. Uh, I worked on some of the finale for uh, It's a Small World in Hong Kong. And those were very early. Um, I really started to find myself when I started working in Blue Sky and concept development. Um, and so I, you know, I worked on what will become the Star Wars, you know, uh, at Gal- Galaxy's Edge, um, the land. I worked on that for about three years. What's happening today is very different from what I had worked on. Because um, when I started on it, we didn't know anything about the new movies. So it was just based on the original six films. Um, but I worked on that for a long time. I worked on Avatar. Um, I worked on, uh, gosh, Alice in Wonderland, Pirates of the Caribbean, but the kind of the, the, the big one that, that I think most people will, will see my hand in is Iron Man experience in Hong Kong. Um, and so that's going to get us off into a whole other story, but once, once Disney bought Marvel, given my, my comic book background, my affinity for comic books and superheroes and all that stuff. Uh, that's when I really found myself at Disney. I found what my niche was and what I was going to really go after. And Iron Man Experience was the first project that I, I pitched uh, and helped get sold and, and, and developed and did all the story development and 
Um, of course, working with an amazing team, and and then uh, got to see all the way through to opening day. So, and then now we, you know, you can go and see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout and any of the any of the Marvel things around the, the Disney Parks and Resorts. Now I've had a hand. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, when I was first introduced to you and I learned of your name, I didn't know that you worked for Imagineering or that, you know, you had this background with creating stuff in the park. I just thought you were one of the Disney artists that would display at Disneyana. Yeah. And I first heard of you uh, when you did the Haunted Mansion tribute show for the anniversary yeah, yeah. because uh, my friend Javier was also in the show. Yeah. And so I remember seeing your bat stanchion and thinking, damn, that is awesome. Like, I need that. And it was great because I would frequent those shows and I had a chance to meet a lot of talented artists, some that I'm, I'm very happy and fortunate to say that I've been able to become friends with, like Javier, for instance. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't until after where I was helping him take some photos for some stuff that he was doing for D23 where he says, oh yeah, dude, Brian works for WDI. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, he, he's been working there for years. Like, no, he doesn't. He's like, yes, he does. <laughs> and so we went back and forth and that's when I started, you know, digging in. And I remember listening to your podcast before. And for some reason in my brain, it never clicked that you were the same Brian Crosby that was working with the other guy at Imagineering named Josh Shipley. And I just thought to myself, okay, artist, okay, yeah, cool, all right, Disney artist. And then I thought, man, I am dense. Like, how could it not have clicked? <laughs> and so then it all just kind of fell together. And I thought, yeah. okay, this is nice because maybe, you know, one day as we grow, maybe we want to come on. And here you are. Here I am. And ironically enough, yeah. almost at the 10th anniversary of when you first released the Josh crazy. and Cross show. Crazy. Yeah, Josh, Josh and I had a, had a great time. You know, Josh is, a, is, you know, one of my best friends in the world. And he, he's just a... He's an awesome guy, and we had a, we had a great time working together. You know, kind of at the very beginning of our careers at, at Imagineering, um, and so we kind of grew up a little bit together within WDI uh, as storytellers, as designers, things like that. And uh, you know, Josh he has since left Disney. He's now working on the Evermore project in Utah, which is super exciting for yeah. him. And I've now left WDI, and I'm now with Marvel. Um, so we, you know, we've parted ways you know, at least from a career standpoint but I still talk to him all the time and you know we remain big friends to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, when you moved away from WDI and Marvel was I, I want to say in its infancy for the Disney company because it was its own entity but then trying to find a way to get it to mix with the Disney culture how was that transition getting the two companies to kind of meld together because they're, they're two different beasts. Totally. And you know, and that was those were um, challenges that we analyzed a lot, especially in the early days, um, because we, as we started to think about where we would put uh, Marvel stories in the parks. Um, you know, when you go into a Disney theme park, and it says on the plaque, "Here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy." Right? Yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy is typically not synonymous with Marvel storytelling. Marvel storytelling is generally about the here and now today and it's in our world uh, which is the opposite of everything that a Disney park would bring right. uh, characters like Peter Parker um, or Tony Stark would go to Disneyland Disneyland would exist in their world so that's a, a huge shift and so as we started thinking about what that means we had to be you know very uh, selective and careful about where we put our Marvel stories in the parks um, and uh, you know, the, so with the first one, with Iron Man experience, uh, in that in that attraction, 
Tony Stark knows he's at Hong Kong Disneyland. Right. He it's the Stark Expo, and the Stark Expo has been brought to Hong Kong Disneyland. And when you leave the uh, the building in the attraction, you fly out over Disneyland, and then you end up in uh, heading towards Stark Tower in, in Hong Kong, in the city. Um, and so that was our, our first approach. But I I think even before that, before we could even have those conversations, um, you know, we had to go through pitching big ideas, small ideas, uh, running the whole spectrum of concepts to find what was going to be uh, the Disney take. And one of the things that, you know, we landed on very early was that this is going to be the Disney DNA of storytelling in the parks, but with the Marvel brand of characters. Okay. And, so, and what we mean by that is complete immersion, uh, very sincere storytelling. You know, when you walk into Avatar or you walk into Cars Land, you feel completely in that place. And that was the goal with Marvel. Is that whenever we do a Marvel thing, you need to absolutely be in the Marvel universe, and you got to be true to who those characters are. Um, and uh, but I mean, when when Disney first bought Marvel, I mean, I could not have been more excited. It was like Christmas morning for me. Uh, like I said, you know I, I love that stuff, and yeah. so I remember opening up my computer on that morning and seeing the Disney logo and the Marvel logo together on my screen, and I was I, I, I couldn't tell enough people about how awesome this was. Now keep in mind, at the time, only Iron Man one and Iron Man two and the Incredible Hulk films had come out. There had been no Thor, no Captain America, no Avengers, none of that had hit yet, and so most people in the world didn't know who those characters were. Uh, we knew as, as like comic book nerds, but like the idea of Thor and Loki, like nobody knew who Loki was. And so even internally, when I'd pitch concept using Loki, people would tell me, ah, nobody knows who, who Loki is. What does Loki do? I'm like, I'm like, just trust me, when Avengers comes out, the whole world's gonna know who Loki is. And um, so after, after Disney bought Marvel, I remember they brought in uh, the author of the Marvel Encyclopedia. You know, that big, yeah. big tome, right? That big book. And I was so excited, right? And so jazzed to be working on Marvel content. And the author comes in, and all the Imagineers kind of crowd into this big presentation room we have up at WDI. And and he was going to give a talk about what Marvel was. And, and I was, like, in the front row, just couldn't have been more excited. And I wanted everybody to be excited with me. And this guy immediately starts going into all the nuances and subtle references and easter eggs and deep cut stories that like you know he's talking about the dark phoenix saga and you know good guys becoming bad guys and you know tony stark's <clears throat> drinking problem and all these things and i'm like i'm like yes yes i love a lot of stuff yeah 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 and i turned around wanting to see how everyone else was excited with me nothing blank faces nobody was getting it nobody knew what this man was talking about but primarily, but the group was primarily like Imagineers. Right? Imagineers. Yes. yes. Okay. And at first, I was disappointed. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. That means I'm the only one here who understands this. And I'm going to latch onto this with all my teeth and claws, and I'm going to become the Marvel guy within Disney. And that was my goal. Was just I'm going to work on every Marvel project that we do. And so, if it had Marvel on it, I, I, you know, made sure that I was, you know, trying to be in the room and provide any level of knowledge and insight and expertise that I could, and artwork, story development, anything. I was all over it. Um, and through that, 
I got to know the Marvel guys. Uh, the guys, you know, at Marvel, uh, Dan Buckley and Joe Quesada, Craig Kyle, Kevin Feige, all of these guys. And uh, became friends with all of them. And uh, Joe Quesada and I in particular really hit it off because Joe's a huge baseball fan. And so we got talking to baseball, um, you know, ended up going to an Angel game together, and um, we just became became great friends. And, uh, you know, one day Joe and I were having breakfast, and, and I said, you know, which, you know, I was a huge fan of Joe's, you know, as a young comic book reader, so it was just cool to be hanging out with him. But, you know, now we've become, you know, friends and colleagues. And I said, hey, uh, you know, if there's ever a need to have somebody on the Marvel side, you know, um, that like does this stuff does the theme park stuff for you guys like I'd be interested in that and he's like okay you know you know that sounds interesting you know didn't respond overly and I'm like ah very nonchalant yeah I was like okay in the back of my head right and I thought that's never you know it's gonna die and uh you know it wasn't too much longer I don't know maybe six six months after that uh I got a call from uh Ben Hung uh who you probably don't know but he was my my first boss at, at Marvel and he said, you know, you came very highly recommended by Joe and we're interested in maybe bringing you over for this for this position. And he told me what it was. And it was to be the creative director of live events. And, uh, and so I came over, interviewed for it, uh, went really well. And very quickly I was I was given the job and hired, yeah. And then I, I quickly changed the name from live events to themed entertainment. That's awesome. Because I thought live <laughs> events was a little too, it sounded a little too... It sounds uh, like Disney on Ice, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know that that's totally accurate. I go, themed entertainment's a, a much more industry-known term. And so uh, uh, I changed the name to Marvel Themed Entertainment. So now that's my, my current title. And I have a small team, you know, at Marvel, and we work on all the projects, you know, around the world from... Uh, Marvel Universe Live, you know, with Feld Entertainment, uh, the Avengers Station, which we did in Vegas and New York and Korea, and uh, we do museum exhibits, theme park attractions like Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout, Iron Man Experience, and whatever else might come out of that, we'll see. Um, and well, it is an expanding universe, and it is yes, an expanding it is. park. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, comic cons, character appearances, so anything... The way I like to think of it is any dimensional execution of the Marvel brand is what our team uh, oversees. That's very cool. I couldn't, I mean, just couldn't be happier, man. And then on top of that, I get to, I get to play in the comic book world from time to time, doing covers and things like that, and um, you know, doing a little bit of story development. Doing a, I get to go up to the publishing retreats up in New York and you know, hang out with the comic book guys and kind of participate in the story development. And so it's just, you know, it's just an awesome. Awesome company, awesome place, awesome people. Um, I really, it has worked out really well as it, you know. I was nervous. I was nervous about leaving Imagineering because I think every Imagineer, when you come into Imagineering, every Imagineer has these visions of being like... The next Tony Baxter. Yeah, like the a Tony Baxter. Bob Gurr, yeah, yeah. the next Rolly Crumb. Yeah, you're like, someday I'll be yeah. a Disney legend. You know, I'll put my handprints and I'll get my name on the window. Like they have these visions of being lifers, and uh, I did too. You know, someday I'll be a I'll be a lifer. I'll be that guy who was with Disney my whole career, and I'll have a giant library of things that I've done. And uh, you know, there's only there's probably just a small handful of things that could have pulled me away from that from that dream. And Marvel's Marvel's one of them. So, um, and it's been great. So talking about some of the you know the art covers and stuff that you've done. You know, you did some. Uh, covers for uh, Guard Mission Breakout, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. You did the variant cover. Yep. You've done some stuff for the Haunted Mansion when that came out. 
talk about the development about Disney Kingdoms and how that idea came to be and uh, really how it's bonded into a life of its own. Yeah, Disney Kingdoms, uh, so that's that's another one that's a product of, of the, the friendship that I had with Joe Quesada. Um, you know, Joe and I were actually at an Angels game and... Uh, Not a Dodger game, right? Let's nope, make that clear. absolutely 100% an Angel game. Sidebar. Yeah. How did you feel about the Dodgers being in the World Series? Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I get, it's Southern California, so I could live with it. <laughs> okay, so back from the sidebar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so while we were at the game, I, I pitched the idea to Joe, you know, it's something that Josh Shipley and I, who did the Josh and Cross show, we had been kind of developing anyway. Um, we thought, as much as we loved, we loved comics, and we're, you know, we're the Wednesday Warrior guys who are at the comic shop every Wednesday, you know, getting our books. Still are to this day. Um, and, uh... We had seen movies come out like Pirates of the Caribbean and heard about things in development like the new Haunted Mansion movie and, you know, are they going to do Big Thunder Mountain? Are they going to do Jungle Cruise? All these things. And we thought, okay, those are cool, but you can, you know, how many of those can you do, right? And and they're risky. Yeah. And we thought, is there a way to do this where we could create uh, new stories that do a deeper dive into the attractions that's original intellectual property? like a Jungle Cruise, like a Haunted Mansion, create new characters, more worlds, the same way the movies did, but on a smaller budget in comic book format. That was the, that was the idea. Uh, and we pitched the idea to numerous places. Um, in fact, even internally at Disney, they had a group called Kingdom Comics for a short while, before they bought Marvel. And Kingdom Comics, nothing ever came of Kingdom Comics, but uh, initially it was going to be kind of the, the comic book wing of the Walt Disney Company that was going to create comics and then turn them into big pop culture franchises, right? Because Disney had, didn't own Marvel yet. And didn't, you know, didn't own Star Wars, none of that. And so they're like, let's start in-house and create these things. So we pitched them, the first story we pitched them was uh, Museum of the Weird, uh, based off of Rolly Crumb's old concept yeah. from the 60s. And we always loved that story about the Museum of the Weird, how it was kind of that one thing that Walt had announced on the on the Tencennial and never got built, and you're like, oh, it's kind of like Walt's last idea that you know that never saw the light of day. Like we got to do something with that. And I love the name Museum of the Weird. Yeah. Um, and they really liked it, but like I said, Kingdom Comics kind of came and went. Well, so I'm at this Angel game with Joe, and I kind of pitch. You know, I'm sitting next to Joe, and Josh is on the other side of me, and I kind of pitch the idea to Joe, and it was kind of the same thing. Or it's like, hey, we have this idea to make comic books, you know, based off of theme park attractions. And I said, you know, we've done a lot of thinking about what can Marvel or what can Disney do with Marvel content, but what can Marvel do with Disney content? Nobody's talking about that. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's interesting. Same, like, same response. Right. And uh, you know, there's one thing I've learned about Joe. It's I mean, that seeds planted in his mind, right? And it. You know, he's a, he's just a creative genius, and he's got a lot of things happening up there. And and it, you know, he may not respond like overwhelmingly positive right at that moment, but if it's in there and it starts rolling around, he'll that means he likes it, and right. then it'll come out the other end, and it'll be something great. And about seven months later, you know, he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, I think we want to do that that theme park thing." Basically. And so. Josh and I connected with the Marvel guys, and we launched Disney Kingdoms. Very cool. And that was a 
Secrets of the Weird was the first book. We couldn't call it Museum of the Weird because it was actually a Museum of the Weird in Texas that owned that name. Oh, okay. And so we called it Secrets of the Weird. Um, and then that, after that came, what was it, Figment? Figment after was that, the next one. And then uh, Big Thunder Mountain. BTR, yeah. And then Haunted Mansion. And then we did another Figment. Um, I think that, and then we did Tiki, Enchanted Tiki Room. Yeah. And so that's and that's where we've landed, and we're on a bit of a hiatus with the with the Disney Kingdom's line right now. But uh, yeah, it was you know just a ton of fun. I mean, and, and so while we're you know for Josh and I, it was great because while we're in the midst of trying to build our careers in concept design and things like that, we had this like really cool comic book project that most people didn't really care about, you know. And so we kind of had a lot of creative freedom to do um, and to tell the stories we wanted to tell and bringing Figment back was one of those things that we really were passionate about and weren't sure if it was gonna at least I wasn't sure because I grew up on the west coast so I didn't have the childhood affinity for Figment I was gonna say that that uh, most people that know Figment and Dreamcatcher are from the east coast yeah. there's not a lot on the west coast that know who he is and you know what and that was my one fear with doing that book it was like I, I don't know if this is gonna resonate with people over here who don't really know Figment and but it turned out to be a huge hit and you know i I, admittedly, I was wrong on that one. You know, uh, it was. I think I think Haunted Mansion was actually our bestseller, but Figment was right there enough so that we could do a second Figment book. Um, and Jim Zub wrote that book and just did a just did a tremendous job of doing exactly what we had pitched, where we're gonna take what, what the attraction gave us, but do a deeper dive into those stories and create new characters, new worlds, but everything that's authentic to what you would expect from a journey into imagination. You I know, love story. story. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's really great because I feel like what you guys have done with like Disney Kingdoms, and I think in general, just like the purchase of Marvel, the purchase of Star Wars, we're entering this weird world where previously there was Disney fans, there was Marvel fans, there was Star Wars fans, but now you're all Disney fans. Yeah. You know, by proxy, we're all Disney fans, regardless of what fandom really you come from. Yeah. And especially Disney Kingdoms, if there was people that would not purchase comic books in the past, you've probably introduced them to a whole new world where now free comic book day comes around and they're like, oh my God, let's go see what they have. Yeah. And you've possibly, you know, created new artists out of that. You've possibly created just fans in general. Well, you know, I hope so. Because that was, I mean... That's nice of you to say. That was. It was part of the the goal was to. Josh and I, you know, felt like we were a little unique in that we bridged both of those worlds. That there were Disney fans and there were comic book fans, and there weren't a lot of people that kind of did both. And we said we can take these stories that we love from Disney and introduce them to these comic book fans. And comic book fans can discover what a what a wealth of stories are happening in the Disney theme parks, um, and that they they can work together very nicely, actually. Um, so it was that was that was one of the goals of the line, and you know we had, we just had a blast, you know, creating it. And yeah, I got to do some varying covers out of it, which was really fun too. So. And before I start getting crazy comments about the episode, I do want to make it clear that I understand that Disney had comics in the past, okay? Mickey yes. Mouse was yeah, yeah, huge yeah. in the comics, yeah. you know, DuckTales, you know, the Adventures of Uncle Scrooge, you know, all that stuff was really based in Disney lore. These were yep. stories that have, I think the way that you guys have done it is you you didn't, you took it out of this comic book element and gave it the, the bridge also to what graphic novels were doing, where they were putting a lot more meat into the story, and it doesn't, it wasn't this tongue-in-cheek story, where from beginning to end, it's kind of like, oh, here, this happens, this happens, this happens, boom, here's how it finishes, 
but you really work on creating the characters and uh, building stories behind each one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's and I mean, and one of the I mean, one of the hallmarks of Marvel too is the connectivity of it all, right? The, the shared universe, right? Which has now become a buzz phrase in Hollywood, but Marvel's been doing this for decades, you know, in, in the comics. And if we're going to create a Disney line of comics with Marvel, we said well, we need to needs to be connected. And so there are Easter eggs in each one of those titles that ties all of them together as a shared universe. And most of them are very subtle. Um, but there are little Easter eggs here and there where you get the idea that they're part of one larger right. Disney Kingdom's story. That's awesome. I and hopefully that. someday, maybe, we'll get a chance to tell that story. Yeah, once you put out the, the really big tone there you go. everything, there you, go. you put out one giant hard tone yeah. with all of them. It's, it's, the, it's the Avengers of Disney Kingdom. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you mentioned working on some of the attractions and everything, Pirates of the Caribbean and everything. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Disney fans that feel that, um, and, you know, you, you can speak to much, as much of this as you can sure. or are allowed to, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of fans that feel that the movies now drive the attractions. And uh, how, how true would you say that that is for Marvel? And how much concept do you put into creating an attraction versus a film? And how connected are you to that branch of Marvel? Um, it's an interesting question because we... Marvel, much like Disney, is a synergistic machine, right? Um, what's good for one division is good for the other. Um, so we'd be, you know, we'd be fools not to leverage, you know, the affinity that people have from the Marvel Studios films. I mean, they've done a... Mar you know, Kevin Feige and his team have done a tremendous job uh, taking very obscure comic book characters and ideas and making them palatable and appealing to a much broader audience. I think that's the, that's the genius of what they've done. Um, so we certainly leverage that. And so we work very closely with them, uh, as we do with all of our divisions. Uh, so our themed entertainment group, you know, we are kind of the, you know, we kind of feed off of everybody a little bit. So, you know, we work very closely with publishing to know what's happening uh, with our comic book stories because those are going to, you know, the comic book stories of today will be the movies of tomorrow. Right. You know, so pay attention to the comics. Um, and, you know, but our animation teams are doing some really fantastic, innovative stuff. I mean, you got the Disney XD stuff, which is a little more uh, meat and potatoes, you know, in terms of uh, superhero animation. But if you go and look at a lot of the shorts that we're doing on on the YouTube channel, like the Ant-Man stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Rocket and Groot, uh, the Funko shorts. I mean, they're really great, great stuff. Uh, and now our games team, you know, with the Spider-Man uh, console game that's coming up. Uh, everybody at Marvel is just doing such awesome work, and so we're excited to be a part of it. But what I think what, what each of those divisions does is leverage what people know to tell a completely new story. If we're just regurgitating the same story over and over again, then I think we're doing our fans uh, a disservice because we're depriving them of an opportunity to experience something new. And each medium has its um, has its nuances in terms of storytelling. So when you go on a theme park attraction, it doesn't necessarily work to just repeat what you saw in the movie, right? And I think some of the you know 
I mean, there are examples of what we would call book report attractions. Like if you go to like Fantasyland and you right. go on like you know Peter Pan or Pinocchio Basically, or something. It's like a that. retelling. It's yeah. a retelling. But I think I don't know that those are the most. Uh, please don't get hate mail on this, but I, I don't know that those are necessarily the most successful attractions, even though they're fun. To me, the real opportunity is in being able to tell new stories in those worlds that is specific to the theme park medium, the theme entertainment medium. And so, like with Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, that's not a story you saw in a movie, because we have a giant fortress with a with a gantry lift slash elevator that goes up and down and falls and, and things like that, or that gets pulled, however you want to phrase it, right? And so we're telling a story that's specific to that, right? And you are the protagonist. Rocket in that story needs you because he needs to scan his hands to get entry, but he doesn't have human hands. He has little raccoon hands, so he needs you, the people. Um, Joe Rohde taught me this, you know, um, and I loved working with Joe because he was the one that changed the way I, I, I looked at uh, theme park attraction storytelling because he said, in every attraction, you are the protagonist. The guest is the protagonist. And I'm like, that's true. I never thought about that. But when you go on Space Mountain, it's not about anybody else riding a rocket. You're riding the rocket. When you go on Indiana Jones, you're the one sitting in the Jeep, not Indy. He's off doing whatever, trying to hold the doors for you. You're the one that's on the adventure, not Indy. And so our best attractions are when we're, you know, we take that into account that you're the protagonist of the story. And so for us to just regurgitate what you've already seen, you know, where you've got, you know, if you watch a movie, you've got an hour and a half, two hours or whatever to sit passively in a chair with your popcorn and your soda and whatever and watch the action <laughs> unfold, but you're not a part of it. You're watching it happen to other people. When you get up out of that chair and now you step into that world, you're now a part of it. And so we have to flip the paradigm and themed entertainment as to how we are giving you a Guardians of the Galaxy experience or a Iron Man experience or a Star Wars experience. You are a part of that story. And so we have to change the change the what you know into our medium. Uh, and animation is no different. They have to tailor... They're not necessarily making you the protagonist, but they have to adapt for their medium. With the video game, you are now working through an avatar. You are Peter Parker. Okay, In our story... You, you wouldn't be Peter Parker. He would be a guy that you'd be along with on the adventure. But in the Spider-Man game, you are using Peter Parker to navigate New York City, right? But you can make choices along the way. Um, and so each medium does what they do, um, but they all have to have the, the heart, the aspirational qualities, the core attributes, the values of, of what Marvel what Marvel is so that every one of them feels like a Marvel story even if they're told in completely different ways and I can see how the Disney company really is working towards that immersive experience going forward with everything that they're doing uh, not just with Marvel but what they're doing with Galaxy's Edge right from yeah. the moment that you walk in you're a Jedi in training basically everything that you do and you choose will basically affect the rest of your stay during Galaxy's mm -hmm. Edge as, as far as I know it's, it's the rumors right um, I can neither confirm nor deny right uh, but <laughs> not uh, my project <laughs> but, not anymore 
But I love that because mm. uh, it's the difference between a ride and an attraction. Yeah. Right? I know that uh, Disney is, is big on calling everything that they do in the park attractions, but it really is the difference, right? You go to other theme parks, you know, north of Disneyland, and they have a bunch of rides, and they may hold world records for all of these different roller coasters, but none of them really immerse you in that world. You get on for three minutes, and woo, thrill, and then it's over. You didn't experience anything. Yeah. Uh, and just like uh, Star Tours or the Iron Man experience, you know, you become a part of the story. Yeah. And I really love that. Yeah. Um, and uh, like just how you were talking about earlier, how your branch allows you to really start nodding towards people and things that aren't necessarily in the, the, the sight of current Disney fans or maybe even some Marvel fans. Like, the fact that you nod to Jack Kirby as you're walking into Mission Breakout, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many people would pick up on something mm -hmm. like that, but for the people that really are hardcore Marvel fans, that is just another way of saying, hey, welcome to California Adventure. You are welcomed in this park. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. and, and with Guardians of the Galaxy, um... I mean, that one is, you know, people have really come into, the, you know, to knowing those characters through the films. But there are things that we're doing in the Marvel Universe uh, on TV and comics and things. And so we, we tease all of them. So we like to think of what's happening in the attractions as kind of being in their own universe. You know, where they're happening in, in its own dimensional universe. Um, that it's all connected. There are Easter eggs to the Iron Man experience in Mission Breakout. And there are Easter eggs to Mission Breakout on Iron Man experience. And there is, uh, if you go on the Disney Cruise Line and you go to the Marvel Superhero Academy, you'll find clues to how to learn about more about what's happening in Mission Breakout on the Marvel Superhero Academy and on the cruise ship. That's cool. So, there, you know, we, we're trying to kind of weave these ideas together. Again, it's about connectivity, right? Same thing we did with Disney Kingdoms. Same thing that Stanley did with the comics. Same thing that Kevin Feige did with the films. We are trying to do that with the theme park attraction because that is a hallmark of Marvel storytelling. Because of the synergistic approach that you have with the other branches uh, of Marvel, like with the yeah. films and, yeah. and the comic books, uh, do you feel that either one of the divisions can ever kind of veto an idea? Like, uh, for example, when Thor became a girl. No, he didn't Thor. become a girl. Well, there is a new Thor that is a girl. Yes, the that's girl. true. Yes. Correct. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a new Thor, Thor that is a yeah. woman. Uh, when something like that comes up, how does that get passed around to the other division so that you can prepare for what's coming? Um, it's a good question. It, in a way, each, each group, each line of business or division of Marvel... Uh, operates a little bit independently, you know, because comics, they got to do what's right for their media, right? And so, I still think to the, I still think of comics as the mothership, to me, to me they're the they're the nexus of which everything spins off of, um, and they are, you know, and, and and of course comics will respond to things that happen in film, uh, same with TV, same with animation. Video, you know, it all kind of feeds off each other. But to me, the center of the universe, as far as Marvel is concerned, is what is still the, the comics. Um, and they ha and the reason why I think that works best is because they have the most freedom and frequency of storytelling to like really explore new ideas. Um, so the notion of a new a new character, you know, you know, a, a, a woman becoming Thor. Um, 
they can try new things and see what sticks. And some things will stick and, and be great, and some things won't, and they'll go away. And because they, we've got, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20, 25 comics coming out a week, that's a lot of stories every single week, you know, 52 weeks a year. Uh, that's a lot of storytelling. And so they can experiment. And there's no budget. I mean, there's budget to make comics, but, right. but you know, there's no special effects budget, I should say, you know. Uh, so they can, you know, try lots of new things. And, um, and what the things that stick and work, I mean, like, you know, Miles Morales and Ms. Marvel and uh, Sp- Spider-Gwen, you know, a lot of these new characters that are becoming very popular in comics, you know, someday, you know, maybe we'll see movie, those guys in the movies. You know, I don't know when, but, you know, it'd be great to see some of them, you know, in live action. But I think they all kind of, but I think it starts with, it starts with the heart, the heart of Marvel, which is comic. So how do you guys go about figuring out? I mean, there's all these parallel universes that run through the through the Marvel universe. Yeah. How do you go about choosing what's best for the parks? Um, it happens in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, a lot of times it depends on what the uh, the needs of the park are. Um, sometimes there's a, you know, a either sometimes it's synergistic. Um, like we got a big film coming out, and we'd like to do something in the park that ties into the film. Um, or it's you know there's a huge affinity for this movie or this character that happened you know may have been 10, 20, 30 years ago but they still love this character and they'd really like a ride and we have a deficiency in themed or excuse me in thrill rides or we have a deficiency in family attractions with no high requirements there's lots of different things that factor into how we decide which is the right uh, story to tell so once we once we see or hear of that need, then we go, okay, it's a, in the case of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, you know, and that one was, they came to us. They said, you know, they'd, they wanted to do a Marvel story. Um, they were thinking about retheming the Tower of Terror. Um, what would be the right story to tell? So we explored a lot of different ideas of what would work. And ultimately we decided Guardians of the Galaxy was right for a lot of different reasons. Um, A, big movie coming out that summer. That helps. Uh, B, we're confined into a space that's, you know, I'm using hands. Sorry, not good for a podcast, but, you know, it's not a huge space. So it's not an open, like, open world. You know, we're looking at, you know, a confined space. So we need characters that can believably fit into that framework and aren't so big or powerful that it's easy for them to just bust out. Um... And so as we started talking like that about breaking out, those were the conversations that led to what's the right group of characters that could conceivably be captured. And uh, again, having Guardians film come out, Guardians being a new popular franchise, uh, we knew what we were doing was going to be rather intrusive into California Adventure. And Guardians of the Galaxy by nature are a very kind of intrusive uh, group of guys. Yeah, group of characters. And so... Uh, they felt right. And we knew, like, people are going to be upset initially when we announced this. And we were prepared for that. Oh, and they were. And they were. And we heard it. Um, But we believed in the story we were telling. We believed in what we were doing. And since it's opened, I have heard very few, if any, 
negative comments about it, people seem to genuinely really like it. So oh, they're still out there. I are they, are they still out there? Well, yeah, I, maybe I don't pay attention far anymore. I could tell you very far between. There are still people that roam around the parks, especially in that area, that will say, oh, I missed the Tower of Terror. And my response is usually, there's still one in Florida. You can enjoy it there for now. There you go. And I know, I, I know that I may sound like a jerk to some people saying that, but I mean, it's true. You know, it's... Yeah. You know, I remember talking to you. You were in our vlog the day that it opened. Yeah. I remember going for the opening, and it was just amazing what you guys did with that structure because it was an entirely different attraction. Yeah. Like, had you never been inside a Tower of Terror, you would have never known that that attraction existed before Mission Breakout. And I think uh, the, the only real thing that at least for now, as California Adventure begins to build out, you know, more more Marvel attractions and more Marvel experiences like the Summer of Heroes and such. Yeah. Um, really, the only thing that breaks, I think, the synergy is the fact that from Cars Land you can see the Tower of Terror. That yeah. from Buena Vista Street you can see the Tower. Um, it's not Tower of Terror. Sorry, Mission Breakout. Uh, but I think as uh, as more begins to pop up that's Marvel related, people begin, will begin to forgive that a little bit more, especially as more of those Marvel experiences come in. Yeah. Uh, because it is a wonderful attraction. And you do, that, you do the best you can with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, visual intrusion is not something that really anybody loves. Um, sometimes it's something you just have to deal with and right. try and try and direct the eye away from it. Um, but I mean, you can go it in places and uh, in Florida, you can be standing in Adventureland and see Space Mountain peeking up over too. So I mean, it's just it's the you have to do the best you can. But you know, it's it's tough to to create that complete, especially something like like you know, Guardian Mission Breakout. It's huge. You know, it's like how how do you hide this? Thing? You know, it's it's gigantic, and it wasn't hidden before. You know, when it was Tower of Terror, it was still open, and you could see it. So it. Um, you know, you do the best you can. You know, and I, I like I said, I, I think you know we believe in we believed in the story we were telling. We believe in the direction we're going. You know, we've started to tease that a little bit. Um, like you know. the hatch next to break. Yeah, out. like the hatch. What uh, is the hatch? What is that hatch? I'm not waiting for an answer or anything. I wonder what. Nor am I going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to try. I yeah, had yeah, to try. Yeah. That's awesome. But but I'm but I hope you want to know. Like that's the if if you don't care, then then we haven't done our jobs. You know. If it, but if you care, and you're interested, and you want to know why is there a hatch with an Avengers A on the top? What's down there? Yeah. Right. Very lost in that way. Uh, so I mean, the sequence of numbers might be the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> punching in some numbers yeah, like, yeah, yeah, every fifteen minutes. Go punch in right. a sequence of numbers, it could be. and eventually the Hulk will Desmond, pop out. Desmond is down there, He's <laughs> hanging out, punching numbers. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, well, you know, we're having fun with that. I mean, but that's that story, man. That's what Marvel does. You know, our uh, the hatch is our cliffhanger. You know, it's it's the last page of our comic. It's the end credits. It's after the scene. end credits, right? You know, it's it, that's what we're doing, man. It's you know, there, there's there's more to come. We're not done. So one last question about creating attractions. Uh, some of our listeners are aware of the fact that there are deals in place, obviously legal uh, reasons why some Marvel things can appear in Florida yeah. versus California. Uh, you know, because of stuff with Universal. How different is it having to create stuff on the East Coast versus the West Coast because of stuff like that? Uh, it's more difficult. It's more complex for all the reasons you just named. You know, without getting into the, the legal right, weeds, right. you know, it's 
there just are there are theme park restrictions on on the characters that that uh, the Walt Disney Company can use, um, and you know the stuff that Universal has at Islands of Adventure is is great. You know the Hulk coaster is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Iron Man's or me, um, Spider Man is you know to this day in my opinion one of the greatest attractions in the world. It's it's just awesome. Um, so you know there's lots of fun stuff that they've done. Um, you know the uh, you know but we're we're uh, we'll see we'll see what's the, you know we've done a few little things here and there we you know we did um, Guardians of the Galaxy meet and greet so you got to meet Star Lord and and, uh, and Groot and we did a Doctor Strange thing in there it was almost kind of like a Jedi training academy yeah. type thing where you got to learn about the mystic arts and and stuff from from Doctor Strange uh, and then we announced at the D twenty three Expo that we're bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy in a much bigger way to Epcot right and uh, you know I'm just excited for I mean that is gonna it's a cool cool concept and you know similar to what we did with Mission Breakout you know not everyone sees necessarily how it's going to fit in with the park theme uh, but I think people are going to be very pleased when they get to experience what that's going to be and we, we haven't named it or anything yet so I can't even say what that is but I can tell you it's going to be it's going to be fun it's going to be awesome I, you know uh, we're all really excited, and that, that did not take a whole lot of um, reviews or approvals to get to a place. I think we all pretty much universally, you know, walked in, and uh, you know, Tom Fitzgerald, who is the portfolio lead over uh, the Epcot Park, uh, he embraced us, brought us in for story development, and then pitched us what he wanted to do. And we're like, yeah, that's that's cool. That's awesome. that's Guardians, yeah. <clears throat> so it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'm excited. D23, you mentioned it just a moment ago. Yeah. How was it for you seeing Stan Lee and Jack Kirby get honored as Disney legends and having those two worlds clash? Yeah, awesome. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet Jack, um, but i huge fan and you know of his work, and I've had a chance to interact with some of his family members, his son and his granddaughter, and um, they've always been... You know, just you know, tremendous people. You know, tremendous. You know, uh, you know, Marvel people, and you know, very excited by all that's happened with with Jack's creations. And so I've had I've had nothing but good experiences with the Kirby family, and you know, and, and I feel very fortunate that I've had the chance to meet Stan a couple of times. And um, Stan just he amazes me, man. I mean, he's 94 years old, and he when he knows how to play the role of Stan Lee very well. You know, when you, when you got to turn it on, he turns it on, and he just you know, becomes the guy, you know, becomes Stan the man, you know, everyone, who you want him to be, and, uh... Or is he the watcher? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. That's not my story to tell. Um, but, uh, yeah, Stan is, uh, he's, he's a phenomenon, and, you know, if it wasn't for him, we all wouldn't be here, so seeing him get emotional about Jack's induction as a Disney legend spoke volumes not only to uh, to us as fans to us as Marvel Entertainment but also I know the Kirby family was very touched um, by his his reaction to, to all of that so um, you know it was a, that was a big moment for sure and just you know everything that we've talked about in this on the show you know the fact that we're even talking about Stanley and Jack Kirby being Disney legends like yeah. how does that even compute like in your brains you know it's like it that's just awesome and it's cool that we're in that place where they're being recognized by the Walt Disney Company you know the biggest media company in the world um, as legends you know Stan, and Stan is I mean Stan and Jack created 
universes of characters. Um, I heard, you know, uh, we went up to an event in L.A. Uh, I forget the name of it. Forgive me. Um, Chris Hardwick hosted it. And it was essentially kind of a birthday party for, for Stan. And Todd McFarlane was there. I don't know who Todd McFarlane is, but he yeah, was the comic artist. Yeah, yeah, the comic yeah. artist. And uh, he got up there and he, t- you know, he created Spawn. You know, second time we've mentioned Spawn on this podcast. And uh, Todd said, you know, anybody who's a creator, you're lucky, beyond lucky, if you're able to create one character that resonates, you know, for beyond your beyond yourself. But the fact that Stan created a universe of characters that are iconic and recognizable and have an equal level of affinity uh, is just a crazy achievement, you know. Um, I wish there was something even higher than Disney Legend for for guys like that because, I mean, he just did so much, you know. I mean, he's like, he's the Walt Disney of, of, of Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, 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 of comics, yeah. That is, yeah, I, I completely agree with He him. goes on the Mount Rushmore of comics, for sure. Yeah, who would you put on that Mount Rushmore? <laughs> Aside from Stan and Jack. Gosh, that's tough. I've talked you about got this. two more spots available, man. I know, that's <laughs> tough. Well, you got to put Stan and Jack up there. It's hard not to put... Who else would I put? That's a tough one. You only get four, right? I, I mean, look, it's your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> if you have the dynamite to blast into the mountain, keep yeah. blasting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that, it's, a tough, it's a tough question. What well, do you think right? about you know, modern creators and... And you know what they've done, and you know on the Marvel side, gosh, I don't know, man. I don't want to offend anybody, so I don't know. You know what? That that is a have very think, tactful answer. I, I'd have to think more about it, but I know Stan and Jack would be on there. That that yeah. is a very tactful answer. There you go. And I will accept that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it just goes towards, you know, what people's Mount Rushmore would be for whatever whatever they do, right? Because if you talk about innovators, you know, then you start talking about Walt Disney and you start talking about right. guys like Steve Jobs and, right. you know, not directly related, but then they really are related because of what Steve Jobs did with Pixar and bringing them into mainstream and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it is a tough Mount Rushmore to create. So, yeah. Uh, one last question. Uh, we've been going for just a little over an hour and I just want to say that I really appreciate your time. I've enjoyed talking to you and I hope we get a chance to do this again soon. Yeah, man, but, anytime. Um, Disney obviously has their Fab Five, you know Mickey, Minnie, Donald. Uh, who's your Avengers Fab Five? Avengers, yeah, specifically or Marvel. All right, well let's do both. Okay, let's do both. Uh, if I'm gonna go Avengers, then I would go. Uh, I start with the core four for me. I, I go Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, and then if I'm gonna add a fifth. It would probably be Black Panther. Um, if I could add a sixth, I'd add Captain Marvel. Okay. So that would be my Avengers. Who, I'm not going to ask for him to deny or confirm right now, but who may have the Soul Stone, by the way. We Black shall Panther, see. I guess we we'll shall see. see. And so if we went Marvel, uh, who, who would be your Fat uh, Five Marvel? Okay, the Marvel Universe. Uh, start with Spider-Man. Got to start with Spidey. Um... I think you have to have Cap. You have to have Iron Man in there. Uh, Doctor Strange. You kind of want a Guardian in there. Somebody cosmic. Dang man, this is tough. 
asking the tough questions I know. today. Because like I want to put somebody from the Fantastic Four in there. Because the Fantastic Four are like the first family of Marvel. Which is a whole other topic I wanted to touch on with you today, but I feel like we're running out of time. I'm, it's hard to pick a five, top five of Marvel. I know on our business cards, if I go by our business cards, we've got... Do you have one? I, it's got... Oh yeah, here it is. Okay, I'm looking at my business card. Spidey, Widow, Star-Lord, Black Panther, Hulk, Iron Man, Cap, and Ant-Man. Okay. That's not a bad it's, list. That's not. I it's mean, not it's a more bad than list. five, but it's okay. It is more than five. <laughs> it's a good list, it's, it's It's a Marvel Universe, man. How do you pick five? You can't. You just can't. <laughs> I can't even pick five Avengers, let alone five <laughs> from the Marvel Universe. And, and not, let's not even talk about the new Avengers and all the other Avengers uh, that came after, yeah, right? Yeah. All right. Well, again, Brian, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day. Uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed listening to our talk as much as I've enjoyed sitting here talking to you, listening to all the stories. I mean, if, if we had the time, I would sit here for hours and hours and hours <laughs> and keep buying drinks just to sit here and hear more stories. But uh, generally, this is the time where I ask uh, our guests to plug something that they're working on or something. But, I mean... Marvel, right? Like, is there anything you want to plug before we close yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, I'd say, yeah. Um, you know, we have a, we have a, a touring show right now, uh, Marvel Universe Live, Age of Heroes, which is the second iteration of that show. It's a great family show. Uh, it's currently traveling the United States. If you, you know, wherever you guys are listening, if you have a chance, get out, take your kids, nephews, nieces, whatever. Uh, it's, like I said, great for the whole family. Go out and see Marvel Universe Live, Age of Heroes. Um, so we've got Black Panther coming up in February. Yeah. Uh, you know, go read Infinity some comics War. every week. Yeah, Infinity War, the trailer is out there. I know everybody's freaking out over the trailer. And uh, uh, and then we just announced we're going to be doing a new exhibit um, at the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle um, early next year. It's going to be telling the the 80 year history of Marvel as well as the 10 you know 10 years of Marvel Studios. So it's going to be all encompassing of everything Marvel. Will that be traveling, or is it just it's going to travel? But it's going to start in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. But yeah, so those are my plugs. Very cool. There well, I go. appreciate that. I'll put all of the information in the blog post for the episode, which you will be able to find at podcasters.com/slash 182. So again, I appreciate you taking the time to sit with me today. So guys, until next week, here is to beers, cheers, and Mickey ears. Have a fantastic week, everyone. All right, guys, so it is time to announce the winners of our latest giveaway. It was for some coffee from our friends at Expedition Roasters. It is flavored coffee themed after Disney attractions. Make sure that you head over to ExpeditionRoasters.com to check out the entire selection that they have on sale. If you were not one of our winners, make sure to take advantage of our discount code. It is POD20. Just use it during checkout and you will get 20% off your first order. And any orders over $50 will get free shipping in the United States. So uh, we've already recorded the video. I'm going to be posting that on social media. Uh, so if you haven't seen the video, I know you want to hear who the winners are. So here we go. Congratulations to Adriana, who is at ACWalker86. Congratulations, Laura, at Ohana Mom of Two. And Sarah, who is at Darkest Light. 
Thank you, everyone, for participating, and thank you to Expedition Roasters for allowing us to have this giveaway and hooking us up with some delicious flavored coffee to give to all of you guys. So until next time, uh, I know I already signed off in the episode, but here's to beer shoes and mega ears. See you guys next time.